want to invite you to grab a Bible with me this morning, or you can open that Bible app, and I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now, as you're opening your Bibles here this morning, uh, let me just kind of help to set the context here a little bit, because word had been spreading all throughout the day. First, there were the reports from the ladies. John seems to be uh, specifically focused in on Mary Magdalene. And the other gospel writers, though, they tell us that there were other ladies who went with uh, Mary to the tomb of Jesus early that day. And then when they come back, they come back and they're so excited. They they had talked uh, about Jesus' body being gone. They had talked about angels uh, speaking to them and seeing them. But but as Luke records in his gospel in uh, chapter 24 and verse 11, these words seem to be like made-up stories. And the the disciples, they did not believe these women. And so Peter and John, they want to go check this out. And they discover that the ladies weren't kidding. They see that Jesus' body is gone and that the grave clothes are still there. And, And then there was the other encounter that Mary Magdalene had that she wasn't far from the tomb when she said she had seen the Lord. And she was there in the garden, and he showed up and talked to her. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine the questions and confusion that must have been swirling through their minds in that moment. And then, as they're huddled together in that room, with the doors locked and bolted shut, Jesus appears right there in the middle of the room. There's no knock on the door. There's no voice hollering up the stairs. Hey, is anyone home? Nothing like that. It was just all of a sudden, boom. And Jesus is standing right there in their midst. And in that moment, the disciples experienced the risen Lord. Uh, Let's go ahead and read uh, this story. We're going to read beginning in verse 19 of John chapter 20. You can follow along in your copy of God's word. Here's what it says. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So it is Sunday. It is the first day of the week. It is Resurrection Day. It is evening, and we're told that the disciples are gathered together here in this locked room, and they are afraid. The reason why they're so afraid is, and they're in this house locked in there is because just a few days earlier, Jesus had been arrested. He had been falsely accused. He had been sentenced as a criminal to death, execution on a cross. We have a picture here of what the nails may have looked like that were put into Jesus uh, to hang him on the cross. Most likely, these were pretty long. They were like a foot long, and they're probably about a half inch in diameter. And Jesus was beaten, he's mocked, he's spit on, he's spiked to this post. He is suspended in the air in a very humiliating way. Most likely, the cross was placed on the main road that led into the city of Jerusalem. 
I mean, the Romans, they wanted to make sure that people saw and understood that this is what would happen to anyone who opposed them. Anyone who didn't do things the way that Rome told them to do it. The scriptures tell us that while Jesus was there on the cross, a soldier had come by. He had taken out his sword and he had pierced Jesus in the side, just causing water and blood to gush out. The disciples had seen these things happen to Jesus. They knew about the brutal way that he had been treated. They were afraid. I mean, they were afraid that these same people who had crucified Jesus were now going to come back and and do the same thing to them. They had the doors locked, and we get this sense that they probably had numerous locks on the doors and and, and bolted shut, and they they may have even had bars over the doors to, to keep people out. Now, I imagine not only are they dealing with fear in this moment, but I imagine that they're probably dealing with some level of disillusionment as well. I mean, they had thought that things were going to turn out in a certain way, but now they're finding out that things didn't turn out, aren't turning out the way that they had originally thought. For three years, they had walked with Jesus. They had heard him speak. They had uh, seen the miracles that he did. And now what they, they thought was such a, going to be such an amazing future with him as the king, it seemed to all be crashing in around them. And there was this sense that somehow it wasn't turning out the way that they had thought. He had said that he was God. They had believed him. And they had seen what he did. They had seen the things that he had said. They were convinced that he was God. But now it's turning out that things weren't working out the way that they thought they would. And really, some of you might be feeling that way today as well. That you thought that God was working in a particular way in your life. But it hasn't happened in the way that you thought. And you have been feeling confused and maybe you're feeling even a little disillusionment. Wondering if you're hearing right from God. Wondering if he even cares. Wondering what the future is going to be like. Because really, you do not see what he is doing. You do not understand why things are happening the way they are in your life. Well, as as they're sitting there in this locked room... I imagine that, no doubt, uh, they're thinking about the things that happened as well the Thursday night before. You know, as they were eating at that meal together the Thursday night before, Jesus had said this. He said, you know what? One of you is going to betray me. And all of you are going to desert me. All of you are going to run away from me. After Jesus had said that, Peter, uh, the one who was like the spokesman of the group, he had said, Lord, you know what? I I can't speak for the rest of the guys here, but I'm going to tell you what. You can count on me. You can count on me to be with you through thick and thin. No matter what happens, I'll be there. You know what? I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. You can count on me. Bible says that the rest of the disciples had also responded in the same way. And Jesus had looked at Peter and he said, Peter, let me tell you something, because before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you are going to deny me three times. And that had happened just the way that Jesus had said it would. And so here they are, and they're not only dealing with fear and disillusionment, but there's also this sense that they've let God down. And they had been less than what they had just a few hours before had said they would be. And they had denied him, they had deserted him, they had left him to die alone. 
All of these things are coming together in this moment, and I would bet that they probably had not slept a whole lot throughout the last few days. The question becomes, well, what is Jesus going to say to people who are in that situation? I find Jesus' response to be quite fascinating. Again, in verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now, the, here, here are these doors, they're locked, and yet that does not stop Jesus. That, that in his resurrected body, he appears right in their very midst. That in his resurrected body, he can go places that other people cannot go. Now, in many ways, that should actually comfort us today as well. Because Jesus can go where other people can't go. And while uh, maybe, maybe people, other people don't know all of the deep things about us, Jesus knows us intimately. He knows us better than anyone else can. Jesus can penetrate to the very core of our being, and he knows exactly what it is that we need. I love what it says here. It says that he stood among them. He was there for them. He was there with them. And while there are a number of things that he could have said, I mean, he could have said, he could have talked to them about their failures. He could have scolded them for being afraid and for not trusting him. But in that moment, he expresses such a deep care and a concern for them. That's what I love so much about our Lord, that even today, as we walk with him, when we are going through the difficult times of life, we can experience Jesus coming and speaking through his word to us. You know, I think about places like Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, where we read this. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I mean, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of Jesus that we see here on this first Easter Sunday. That, that Jesus comes in among them. He knows exactly what they need. He, he, he's there for them. He is there to speak to them. And he tells them exactly what it is that they need to know. I'm going to sum this all up in just three words today. Three words that I want us to kind of see here from this passage. John chapter 10, Jesus had said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest, that they might have life more abundantly. What, what is it that, is introduced, that introduces us to that kind of life? What, what, what is that kind of life that God wants us to know about and to have ourselves? Well, first, I, I want us, he wants us to know peace. He wants us to have peace peace. At the end of verse 19 on through verse 21, here's what we read. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You know that phrase, peace be with you, it's recorded twice here in just a couple of verses. And so um, I think what Jesus is saying here, it's really important for us to understand and to know. 
Jesus comes into this room and they are full of fear and they are struggling with disillusionment and there is this sadness because of their failures. And Jesus says to them, I want you to know my peace. Well, what is peace? I mean, what does peace look like? What is he trying to say here? You know, I think that in some sense, this idea of peace, it's a little bit like a diamond. And um, th these are not real diamonds. Uh, these are, this is my wife's necklace. It, these are fake. But it, it kind of helps to give us a little bit of an idea here, uh, a diamond and what it would look like to think about this. Uh, you know, um, when you look at a diamond closely, whether it be uh, a diamond ring or a diamond necklace or maybe diamond earrings... You know, a diamond, it has a lot of different angles to it. It has a lot of different facets to it. And I think that in some ways, that's kind of the idea of peace as well. That when we're talking about peace, when we're talking about, uh, when Jesus talks about peace, I think that first and foremost, what he's talking about is he talks about a peace that we can have with God. I mean, that's why Jesus came in the first place, that he came so that we might know peace with God the Father. That you and I know what, what, what it's like to have right standing with him, which is what righteousness is, that you and I would have a peace with God. Here's the situation that makes it so difficult. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What, what that's saying is that you and I are sinners, that there is this uh, create, created gulf. There is this giant chasm that, that, that's there because of our sin between us and God. God is spotless. He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous. On the other hand, we are sinful and stained, unholy and unrighteous. And so there is this huge separation between us and God. In some ways, this separation between us and God is uh, a mercy on his part because if we, as sinful beings, were in the presence of his holiness, we would just be incinerated in that moment. God, the God of the universe, created man for a relationship. He created us to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. God created man knowing that one day we would need a savior. He, he, he came up with this plan in order to reconcile us to himself, how you and I might be made right with him. That plan was through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You think about Good Friday when Jesus was there on the cross and the Bible says that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What we're talking about here is Jesus taking our place, Jesus bearing our sin. The wages of sin is death, and God pours out his justice on his only son, punishing Jesus for our sin so that we might experience forgiveness. The Bible says that for those who put their trust in Jesus, there is forgiveness, but for those who don't, there will be an eternity in hell. We're told also that God, his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. That's why Jesus came to this earth to die in our place, to bear our punishment, to cover our sin. And when we trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, our sin is forgiven and his perfect righteousness is given to us and the result is peace, peace with God.
And so Jesus came to bring us peace with God. But we have to understand something here. Our world on the outside is a reflection of what is happening on the inside. That when we have this peace with God, suddenly it makes it possible for us to have peace with other people around us as well. You say, well, how does that work? It works like this. Suddenly, we have the capability to love other people with an ability that is beyond ourselves. That when we experience and understand how much we have been forgiven ourselves, that allows us to not hold on to the things, the wrong things that other people have done to us, but that we can forgive them. That we can be at peace with the other people around us. Maybe for you, you are feeling this pressure, you're feeling this disconnectedness in your marriage, that there is this tension and there is this friction between you. Well, when you are at peace with Jesus Christ, when you're experiencing his peace inside of you, that gives you a a peace that can affect the peace that you have in your home as well. uh, He can give you a peace in your work relationships. He can give you a peace in your friendships, a peace in the way that you respond to your neighbors. New Testament talks about this peace that passes all understanding. It is a peace that goes beyond our circumstances. It goes beyond, it's a peace that is in the midst of any of the circumstances that we might experience. It is a peace that Jesus gives. Jesus stands in the midst of his disciples and he says this, listen, I want you to know peace. And that's what he wants for you and for me as well. That you would know that you are no longer separated from God, but that you are walking with God. That you're no longer distant from God, but that you are near to God. That God is near to you and God is with you and he is going before you. You are experiencing his power in a way that you never thought would ever be possible. He says here, peace, peace be with you. Jesus says the second thing here, though, and I find it very, very interesting, that the second thing that just has to do with the purpose in life, that God wants you to know that he has created you for a purpose. We're not here as an accident, but in this world of seven billion people, God knows who you are, and he cares so much about you. And Jesus says this to his disciples in verse 21. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What he's saying here is, disciples, I have a purpose for you. I want you to just imagine this for a moment. I mean, they are filled with disappointment. They're struggling with disillusionment. They're discouraged because they have failed him. But here is Jesus, and he has this purpose for them, and they can't even begin to imagine how great this really is going to be. One of the real joys in my life has been seeing people who aren't Christians and then they later become Christians and who grow in understanding and seeing God at work in their lives. Because here is the reality, that God sees things that we don't see in ourselves. And he is not just saving us from something, but God is saving us to something. When we give our lives to God, suddenly our lives begin to line up with his purposes, which we were created for. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. Do you realize that when God created you, he created you with a purpose in mind? And he has gifted you in a way that you might not be able to, or that you might not be able to see, but he has a, pur- a purpose for you that he has created for you. And, and none of us is able to understand our purpose from, uh, apart from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I realize that we might be able to understand some measure of fulfillment and some measure of purpose in life apart from Jesus Christ, but to really know the purpose for why you were created, to really walk in that, the only way you can experience that fully is in Christ. You know, I think about the disciples who were huddled there in that room in this moment as Jesus is standing in their midst. One of the guys who was there that day, a guy by the name of Peter, and just a few days earlier, Peter had three times denied Jesus, denied that he even knew Jesus. And yet, this same Peter, in a very short period of time, within 50 days, He is standing up in front of this large crowd of people, some of whom I imagine are probably, were probably involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And Peter says to them, you know what? You killed the king of glory. Repent and find forgiveness and hope in Jesus Christ. It is mind-boggling to me that just weeks later, after denying Jesus, he is able to speak with such boldness Not only that, but if you read through the the book of Acts, the the first 12 chapters, you see Peter over and over and over again, and he is healing the sick, and he is raising the dead, and he is preaching God's word, that God is using him in a way that I'm sure he never even imagined. You know, I think one of the exciting things uh, for followers of Jesus, one of the great joys of walking with Christ is to watch him take us places that we never imagined we would ever go. When I was growing up, we used to read books together as a family. And uh, a lot of times we would read real stories, real life stories uh, about either missionaries or just people's lives who have been impacted and changed by the gospel. One of the people that we read was this guy by the name of Nicky Cruz. And the book was called The Cross and the Switchblade. Uh, Cruz, he was this tough guy, a leader on, of a gang on the, in the streets of New York City. And one day, though, he came in contact with a local preacher, and he, he uh, was talked to, and, and the, this preacher talked to him about Jesus, invited him to come to church. Now, at first, he just kind of laughed about it. He blew it off. But, you know, God began to do a work in his life. And it wasn't long before he did come to faith in Jesus Christ. Cruz had went from running the streets of New York to running after Jesus and telling other people about him as well. Now, I think about the change that took place in his life, the wholeness and the fullness that he experienced because of the encounter that he had with the living God of the universe. That he went from running aimlessly, uh, this reckless lifestyle that he had, He went from that to having a purpose and a meaning in life that would impact eternity. And when I think about that, I'm just blown away by the transformational work that Christ has done in the lives of so many people. Well, we've talked about peace, and we've talked about purpose here. But there's one more word that I want to give you today, and that is the word power. Because what can happen here is that we can say, well, you know what, God, thanks for giving me this purpose in life, but there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to do what it is that you're asking me to do. 
I mean, I just don't think that I can do this, God. I mean, these disciples, they're huddled together here in this room, and Jesus says to them, listen, in the same way that the Father has sent me, so I'm going to send you. And I have a mission for you. I need you to carry on the task of telling people the good news about me and how to be right in a right relationship with the God of the universe. Now, in reality, these disciples were never going to be able to do what it is that he's asking them in their own strength and their own power. If they're going to have any shot of fulfilling this purpose that he has given them, any shot of being used to impact the world, they're going to need his power and his presence working inside of them and through them. And that's the same thing that we need today as well. We need God working in us to do for us what we can't do ourselves. In fact, that's what we needed from the very beginning. We needed him to come and to fill us, to transform and to change us, to save us from our sins. But God didn't stop there. He gives us a purpose that we could never even imagine. And then he provides the power that we need in order to accomplish the purpose that he's given us to do. Listen to what it says there in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's happening here? You know, they've been with him for three years. They, they have seen him do miracles. They have heard him teach. They have uh, given their very lives for, uh, to, to impact the gospel, for the impact of the gospel. They, they have known and, and they do know the impact of the gospel. I mean, these guys had been committed. They, they, they were following Jesus. They had given up their jobs. They had given up their livelihoods. In some cases, they had given up their families. They had left their friends behind in order to follow Jesus. I mean, they really do love him. And now they are beginning to understand that not only is he God, but that he has come and died for their sins. And the reason why this change is taking place in them is because they are seeing the resurrected Lord right in their midst. And because Jesus is giving them the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. You know, think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, Jesus had called this being born again. Because what happens is that we are the same person, but in so many ways we are not the same person. That we're so very different. How does that happen? Well, uh, when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. And it is not just like Jesus when he was here on this earth walking around with his disciples. No, now his very presence, his power lives inside of us and we become the temple. We become the residence, the, the house of the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit lives inside of us and we experience his power on display, we are able to accomplish the tasks that he gives us to do. Verse 23, it's kind of an interesting verse here. Verse 23, Jesus says this. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. You say, well, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that there are certain people who have the authority to forgive people of their sins? Does that mean that these disciples are going to go out and, and they're going to go around and start absolving people of the wrong things that they've done? 
Well, I, I, I think that the way these people lived, I think about the way these people who were here in this room in this moment hearing Jesus say this, how they lived this out in their everyday lives. You know, you read through the, the book of Acts and you don't see any person going around and forgiving other people of their sins. That, that just doesn't happen. The Bible is very clear about that, that only God can forgive sin. No human being has the right to forgive someone else of their sins. And so the way that I would read this is that there is this connection between the work of the Holy Spirit in uh, a person's life. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming and changing and transforming and renewing people into the likeness of God in order that they might accomplish His purposes. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a person's life, you're not going to see any change. There will be no change in the life of that person. It is our responsibility as Christians to follow in the footsteps of these disciples, empowered by the Spirit, doing God's mission of taking the gospel into the watching world. The message that we have is that our gracious God entered into this broken and messed up world in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life while he was here, no sin at all. But his ultimate mission was to go to the cross and to die for your sin and for mine. He didn't stay dead, but to prove his power, uh, the power that he had over sin and death, three days later, he arose from the grave so that through him we might experience freedom and forgiveness and a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ, with God rather. That's the message that we are to tell the world and we are... uh, able to do this by relying upon the Holy Spirit and we see the Spirit working transforming our lives and the lives of people around us as well you know this is what Jesus offers that first Easter that first resurrection Sunday he says peace be with you I want you to know I want you to have this peace with God He says, you know what, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out. I have a purpose for your life that I want you to accomplish. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to empower you in order to take the message of the gospel to the world. Friends, that is what Easter is all about. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just your word. It is a reminder to us of the work that you are doing and have done. Lord, that you made it possible that we could have peace with God. Lord, while our sin had separated us, you came to break that barrier, to break that separation, and to uh, cause us to be able to uh, be in fellowship with the Lord. We, We thank you as well that not only have you saved us from our sins, but you have also saved us to something, that you have given us a purpose And that purpose is, while it's very overwhelming and we can't do it in our own strength and our own power, you've also provided the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And so, Lord, we are just grateful to you that you provide everything that we need. And I pray that just the the, the, uh, truth of Easter, the resurrection power, would be on display in our lives and in our world and that you would be praised and glorified and honored. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, again, let me say happy Easter to you. He is risen.